Should Are we, we good to go? This um, is our first ever, ever live recording. We have never done this before. Just in case you don't know who we are, we are the Missing Formed podcast. My name's Madvi. I'm Rena. And every week we tackle a different trend or topic and we research it and then we share that knowledge with you with our own sort of intersectional feminist opinion and sometimes some rage. So last week we discussed dinosaurs. The week before that we were talking about politics in Colombia. So it's a very diverse range of topics. Yeah, this week we're talking about women's voices in podcasting, in culture, and in society. Um, you might notice that there's actually an extra mic here, and that mic is for you because we have loads and loads of women in the audience here, and we thought it'd be really nice to share the mic and listen to your experiences. If you want to come up and share your story, we understand that it might be a bit daunting, so we have cocktails with a lot of vodka in there. If you don't want the vodka, there's also mango juice, but yeah, you can just... Come up, take a seat. Use your voice. Exactly. So we're going to start this week's podcast with a fact. We like facts. This comes from Quartz, which is a publication that did an analysis of podcasts. At the end of 2019, they analyzed 480 podcasts, the top ones, and found that only one in three had women hosts. And then they sorted it by gender and by topic and they found that so with topics like family children health culture lifestyle the women were more dominant and then when it got to tech business finance history it was just all men and then a few months later so this was done in 2019 november and then we stepped into the podcasting scene i guess in march 2020 and this is like where we came in, although we did not come in to redress this balance. We did not come in from a feminist thing at all. Rina messaged me one night. <laughs> yeah, so I sent Madvi a text message about 2 a.m. saying I had just read a post on this thing called Nominative Determinants. It was a meme and it had a picture of Tom Hanks's children, once his son Con Hanks and once his son Chet Hanks. And it said, if you name your son Colin, you get it a Colin. If you name your son Chet, you get a Chet. And I sent this to Madvi and I was like, we should start a podcast. We should talk about this. And she wrote back saying, I will start a podcast with you. I am not talking about Chet Hanks. And we have not done the Chet Hanks episode yet. No, she refuses we to. do follow Chet Hanks <laughs> on uh, Instagram, wild. He is really a Chet. But yeah. And then we just sat down one day because it was locked down and all our jobs got cancelled. We had no work. And we were like, okay, let's just do a podcast. Can't be that hard. Turns out it is quite hard. We started in the morning and we went until evening. We recorded the same shit four times. It was terrible. And then for me personally, I realized that I'm not a voice person. It's not my natural way of being is to use my voice. I'm a writer, which means I sit down, I observe things, I think about things, sometimes for months, sometimes for years, and then I'll write them down and like form an argument and a story that nobody can, you know, come into and interrupt in any way. And I think the reason I became a writer was I come from a very loud family and I'm very introverted anyway. And if you want to speak, you have to be really loud. But I was very quiet and then I was always told, I'm really good because I'm a good, quiet girl. So I associated goodness with quietness. But then I still had a lot of views and stuff. So the way to get them out was like to build them up and then write something and then publish it and just be like, well, there you are. 
Um, and then speaking every week with Rena and just being forced to respond to her is really, I love her, but it's, it's really difficult for me. It's not my natural mode. Mm. I feel like for Rena, it's different because Rena's a talker. Like you're very articulate and you can just, you know, straight away use your voice. Well, I process things by talking about them. So if I have an issue or something I'm thinking about, whether it be like emotional, personal, political, I need to discuss it with someone and get everyone else's feedback. And yeah, I work through problems and issues by talking about them. And when it comes to my own voice, I have quite a rocky start when it comes to feeling like I have the space to talk. I started speaking quite early. And when I was younger, I was often teased about the fact that I spoke a lot. In fact, my mother always liked to say that she found a button once and she pressed it and I started talking and I haven't shut up since then. And it seems kind of very harmless as a thing to say, but it made me feel really self-conscious about talking. And to this day, I'm still overly aware of the fact that I speak a lot and sometimes I'll be like, oh God, am I talking too much? Am I dominating the conversation? And it's actually made me super self-conscious about speaking up not just in social situations, but also in professional settings, because I'm overly aware of the fact that I apparently talk too much. Yeah. But speaking with Madhvi every week is really like, now I have the space and the time to talk. And I think I've told you this story before. I used to want to be a lawyer. And the reason why I wanted to be a lawyer was when I was, I think, in first grade. And please don't ask me why they did this in first grade. We had a bunch of parents come in and tell us about their jobs. And one of the girls in my class, her father came in and he was a lawyer and he was like a courtroom lawyer. And so he explained what his job was. And I remember I got home and I was like, mom, there is a job where you just get to talk and people have to listen to you. I want to do this. Law was completely beside the point to me. Like I didn't really care about what, like the actual study and what the job actually meant. I just loved that people had to listen to me. Turns out I studied art, not law, so, you know. I really well. have a, a podcast where people listen to Rina. But yeah, it's quite hard. I think, you know, am, am I talking too much? Am I being demanding? Should I, like, put my views out there? Is this aggressive? I don't know. Like, does anyone want to, first of all, does anyone want a cocktail? And if the answer to it is yes, then you can come, have a cocktail, I will give you one. And then maybe you can talk about your relationship with your voice in a sort of, you know, from your culture or from your childhood or something like that? Does anyone have anything they want to share? And cocktail. And if no one willingly comes up, I will start calling you out. <laughs> yes. Yes. So do you want to tell us about your relationship to your voice? Introduce yourself. I'm Christina. I, what Madhvi said really resonated with me. I was a very shy child. But I think of it as an advantage because what I did was I watched everything and everybody and I learned a lot about people. And now that I'm older, I realized I've repressed that for a very long time. So I'm making up for it all the time by talking too much. But like Rena, I'm aware that uh, this is an issue. So I'm doing it and I'm like, blah, 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 blah. And then I will think inside, like I'm dominating the conversation. I'm talking too much. Particularly at work. Mm, interesting. Yes. Tell us more about work. So at work, I'm a marketing executive, and I'm often one of the only women in the room. So that's a particular dynamic, and I like to use my voice. And sometimes I use my voice too quickly because I'm nervous, and sometimes I don't use it enough. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
Have you ever gotten any feedback from your colleagues about the amount that you speak or don't speak? No. No? No. It might just be a perception that I have. Mm-hmm. Or, or it's real. I mean, sometimes I censor myself anyway. Mm. I think it is really important, no matter if you're a man or a woman, to listen to people. So that's just a general rule. It's not even about using my voice. It's also, hey, uh, other people should have the opportunity to speak. When you say you censor yourself, in what way do you mean you censor? I get on a jag that maybe is not particularly constructive. And then I think, okay, you know what? Maybe I should leave space for someone else to say something here if we're solving a problem or if there's something else to say. Hmm. That kind of thing. That sounds great. Uh, I mean, well, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of like <laughs> mental work. Hmm. Uh, I put a lot of thought into it. I think some people don't put a lot of thought into it. And I wonder if men put a lot of thought into it or not, or they just kind of do their thing. I have no idea. <gasps> We're trying not to say men are trash in this podcast. However, downstairs... I, I, just to be clear, I didn't, I didn't say that. No, no, you didn't. <laughs> oh, no, 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 because Rena wanted to say it. I can just see it on her face. Just being like, of course men don't think about it. They just blah, because the whole world is there to listen to them. Um, yeah, what she said. <laughs> so it's just read your mind. <laughs> and then, like, in work situations, there's this kind of debate about women. Everyone saying... In your emails, for example, women say things like, oh, I think, blah, blah, blah. And everyone's saying, well, can you just leave out that I think because men just say this is the way it is. But I'm not sure whether that's like actually a good thing or a bad thing because I think just shows like this is one opinion and it's not a bad way of working also to be like, this is what I think and you invite somebody else's opinion in, if you know what I mean think that's a very nice like sentiment and I, I do agree that like bringing other people into the conversation is good but I don't think that that's the way that like the corporate world works men just say like this is the way it is yeah and then women have to be more like that but I wonder if that's just a good thing or a bad thing because like you know like mm. it's kind of nice like Christina saying like to give people space and it's more constructive when you have more voices and more things happen I think if everyone was functioning that way, it would be great. But there's a sort of an imbalance in power, right? Because half, I'm just going to assume that half of the company identifies as male and the other half is female, although we know that's not even true. Then half of the company is functioning on one way and the other half isn't. And so that power dynamic is always going to be off. So mm -hmm. I think that until that's somehow been equalized, mm -hmm. we have to cut out the I think. I was thinking about that just because I'm reading uh, this book. It's Joan Didion's Let Me Tell You What I Think. Joan Didion is an amazing writer. She's dead now, but they republished. <laughs> She's a writer. She's dead She's now. She's dead now. Um, Those are her two qualities. <laughs> She's an amazing writer. And they republished. No, actually, they published for the first time 12 of her essays that had never been published before. And Al Hilton, who's the editor of The um, New Yorker, wrote the introduction. And the amazing thing about Joan Didion, what she did was in journalism at the time she was the only woman journalist or one of the very few kind of covering this kind of stuff she very strongly in her journalism placed herself in it and her own subjective view so for example a lot of news stories that cover a thing uh, in traditional journalism which was made by men just take this point of view which is supposed to be objective so it presents everything as if this is the objective view. Whereas what she did was saying, like, this is how I'm reacting to what I'm seeing and this is what I'm seeing. So then the reader always kind of gets this bigger picture of, like, 
this is the person who is reporting the thing, this is the thing, and it's kind of even more objective in a way because then you're made aware of the subjective within it. So I was just thinking that, I mean, that was amazing in terms of writing and how it progressed this whole genre. And also now we're getting this sort of more um, awareness of the fact that everything is edited. There is no objectivity. There is somebody's values and somebody's, you know, somebody chose what things they saw or what they wanted to put into the story somebody chose all that and we should be critically aware of that into it so yes I know in the corporate world it might not work but like in the writing world she did something really different and really nice and I think it's kind of it's a good progressive thing and I don't think we're going to progress if we all communicate like bulldozers yeah I I agree too but then there's sometimes in the corporate world where you would want to be a bulldozer Mm -hmm. Because you can't you can't sit around all day talking about I feel and I wish and beating around the bush. So no matter who's doing it, you've got to get to the point. Uh, and sometimes there are wildly different opinions, and someone's got to decide. And it can be very helpful to have an assertive, bold statement. You can't spend all day just swirling around in ideas and feelings and whatever. Yeah. Um, I guess you can speak directly with like I feel or I think statements. You can still speak directly, but sometimes it's not that clear. Mm. Uh, how intense your opinion is. Yeah. So then you, you want to distill it down and be like, we cannot do that. That's totally bonkers. Which is a sentence I say often. Really? <laughs> In a work context? Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> so yeah. nice. I applaud that. I don't think I've ever said that in a work context. I think Christina is actually one of the best communicators I know. What? Yes. Oh my God. I'm going to turn red on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. They can't see. Okay, right, I shouldn't have said it. When we were sort of researching leading up to women and their voices, we were, well, we were, I was reading this book. Actually, I was reading it out loud to you in your living room kitchen. Mary Beard's Woman in Power, and in it she does, it's two essays and it's two lectures that she gives. And in the first one, she's talking about the history of women and their voice, and she talks about how Greek and Roman society sort of considered the beginning of Western civilization. We did an entire episode on that, which you should listen to, about how that's actually a lie and Western civilization is a lie. But for the sake of this conversation, let's just go with Greek and Roman society is the beginning of Western civilization. And she points to Homer's Odyssey, where Penelope, who is the wife waiting at home for her husband to return, she comes down one day from upstairs and there are all these men there and her son Telemachus tells her to go back upstairs down here is where the men are speaking in public he uses the word muthos and she should go upstairs and concern herself with the frivolous things that women talk about the gossiping and weaving and whatever women do in their free time and the word muthos muthos I apologize for butchering that word it means to talk in a public way but to inform, like to speak in an informative way in public. And so even from like, you know, the beginning of Western civilization, women have been excluded from the conversation and told to go back upstairs and engage in the frivolous gossip that, you know, we apparently engage in. And actually not so much has changed in our society. For example, if you go into any grocery store here in Germany, you will see economics, politics, tech, you know, the different headings for the magazines, and then women, and it's like gossip magazines. So apparently, you know, 
from the beginning of Western civilization to today, all we can do is talk about gossip and frivolous things. So we haven't actually come that far, and our voices are still so severely limited to these very narrow topics. We have a Penelope wove. Yeah. Well, what, that was her power. She went upstairs and this she is wove, true. and she could have wove like scathing, uh, yeah. scathing feminist uh, manifesto yeah. in her storytelling for all we know. And this they is just true. didn't even see it. Exactly. They didn't think Tapestry oh, is like an underrated art form. That's right. It's yeah. Communication Absolutely. If you go on, if, I don't know if you've read the book, but she goes on to sort of elaborate these different, like the way women depicted stories of their lives when they were silenced in public in tapestry. Oh, it's a really yeah. great book. You should definitely read it. And it's very short and easy and light to read. Yeah. <laughs> and so, well, you know, apparently being a woman is still a niche. <laughs> Um, does anyone else want to talk about their relationship with their voice, either in their work context, like Christina, or it's easier than you think? Yeah, so we're like really in nice. my living room. Yeah, yeah, please. Oh, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, hi, I'm Liga. Um, I'm a producer for creative stuff and a techie. So I've worked a lot of corporate IT also. And I was um, thinking before that I kind of have a similar experience with my voice as Rina has, where mm-hmm. I've always been made aware that I talk a lot and that I laugh very loudly and that I take up space. And I've been quite self-conscious of that. At the same time, I can't help myself. <laughs> and I think I often... I kind of really enjoy banter and I really enjoy communication and I enjoy having that flow and that speaking and they'll often say things without thinking that much about them just because I hear somebody say something and I have like a like a verbal reaction and it's not always a given that it's like the absolute 100% my real opinion it's just like I go into that whole conversation and um, actually when you were saying that like my experience today was I was out yesterday and I woke up today with a thought like, oh no, did I did I say something bad? Because I made like a really bad joke. And I was like, and I don't know the people that well. And like I made a somewhat mean comment about somebody I didn't know. <laughs> just like, to just give cut, we were like out in a place here in Berlin. And the most humongous rat ran past us and all of us screeched. It was, it was puppy size. Mm-hmm. And, um, that like some minutes pass and somebody was like, oh, have you seen this or this person? And I'm like, oh, he ran by just now. Yeah. <laughs> Which is objectively a, f- a good line. Very good. But like after today, I was thinking like, I don't know these people. I don't know. I don't know the person I was referencing. I don't even know his name. And maybe I was being really mean. And I can just, I get a bit um, self-conscious about that. So that's mm. my voice. So I love talking. But I there's an element of me where I'm kicking myself sometimes for opening my mouth maybe too quickly. Mm. But what Christina was saying about the corporate situation, I usually also not always... I don't know if it's good or bad, but I've always found really easy to speak up in work situations. And I've always done that to varying degrees of success. But I've also done it in hindsight in situations where I shouldn't have where I did take like objectively too much space because it wasn't my place to speak, but I was just nervous or impulsive or whatever. So there's a mix of like, I, I could and I did and has brought me like success also because like I'm somewhat eloquent and I get my point across and that usually 
as helpful in different situations, but also I can recognize that I've done it in places where it wasn't needed or appropriate or where it's, uh, yeah, it was just not being, I wasn't being productive. When you <laughs> speak up in corporate situations, do you find that you alter the way you talk or that you lower your voice mm -hmm. or you don't perform or change in any way? No, rarely. Mm -hmm. Very rarely. It's just, um, no. Mm. Oh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> no, I, um, I think I come on quite strong. I, and I, well, we're in Berlin for context, which is much more, I kind of went through a process in Berlin because I, I worked in Latvia and I worked in Stockholm and I worked in an environment that wasn't, like it was a bit of a toxic environment, I think. It was very cultish, corporate-y, the works your life thing. And it was a bit cutthroat, I think. And when I came here, and started working in companies here where it was a lot of people who were very much socially aware and educated and, and politically aware, I kind of got looks where I said something out of line or, or I was being coming on very strong. But I had the good fortune of having people around me who be like, Liga, that's not okay. And I was like, oh, okay, I need to rethink a little bit. That's so interesting, isn't it? Because what is direct and right in Germany, for example would just be seen as outright rude in England. You would never just communicate the way the Germans do here. So culture has a lot to do with how we communicate. And then now we have like all these different types of people together and they all have different ideas and you know about But I enjoy but I really enjoy it. I, I am now again in a different work situation where I work with um, a group of women it's an office and it's all women and it's all these incredibly well-educated like cultural kulturwissenschaften i don't know what's like cultural science and, and and people and they have they're so incredibly aware and cautious and respectful with each other we are i notice that i need to also step up my game rhetorically and uh, i need to like I sound I sound like mad. <laughs> I feel like I sound like a very I feel like I have a male mm. I have a I perceive myself as having like a male communication style. Mm. Interesting. Even though I also I love talking. I talk. I, I'm similar to Rena. I process by talking. And if I don't get to talk things through, I sometimes have like even a hard time connecting to the experience I've had if I haven't talked it through. That's so interesting because um it's perceived in a society that women talk way more than men. But actually, their voices are heard less. Mm -hmm. So in meetings, they consistently speak less. There's a book called uh, The Silent Sex, which they do all this research on it. And it's only when men are outnumbered. Like, I think it's something like, I might be getting the figures wrong. If there are four times as many women in the room, then they speak more or they take up more space. And then also, like, obviously, like I come from a writing background, like opinions and newspapers, like it's all men in art galleries all that art is i mean i go around getting more and more angry just like counting it's my new hobby it's not even a hobby it's a thing that i try to stop because it makes me so angry but it's mostly men's work being shown women's testimonies are interrupted more women are questioned more like i mean well done for you just being you know like because it's hard to have that energy and keep that when well, well the amount of times i've said in a meeting yes i just said that 
<laughs> I applaud that. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, and, and then yes. I get like, yeah, I just wanted to reiterate. Oh, what's the word? Reiterate. Reiterate, yes. And uh, I uh, love I, that. And I was like, yeah, I just, just that's thank you for repeating what I said. I had a friend of mine who, she did a really good thing. And because she, she had very good opinions on things. Very smart lady, but she got interrupted a lot. And she just used to be like, I haven't stopped speaking yet. Mm-hmm. And then she would just continue. And it would never occur to me to do that. And I was like, oh, wow, that's like a thing that um I, f- yeah. I found in communication like and i thinking more about kind of the tech offices i worked in and i was in positions like fortunately uh, that where i got to like manage teams and or or carry responsibility and i had often people that were older than me where i was telling them what to do and that sometimes didn't go well for them because they felt um, attacked or something and would come at me verbally and and i found the most or like the way for me to communicate strongly but without being aggressive quote unquote or like not not about being worried aggressive but just like on a communicative level to like resolve conflict or whatever i find just saying the things like telling the facts Mm. and then going off there because often that already shows what the ridiculous situation is because I had a situation where I was critiquing, or not critiquing, I was like, I think I was critiquing. I was like saying somebody was, wasn't being very clear in the messages they sent, and I asked them to clarify. And that triggered them. And and they started coming at me for things I've said, like, in the lunch break. And I was, and I said, are you not right now telling me, like, like or making, like, offense of my, like, personal life because I critiqued your work here? And they and that and that was and that's that finished the conversation because they're like all of a sudden got snapped out of this like their own emotional reaction and then I found saying or like when there's like yeah when there's difficult situations I find that the most helpful thing is just like your friend also says just like saying it's not like a rude thing to say I haven't finished speaking like it's not an attack it's nothing no. it's just stating the fact and I found that the most helpful kind of in uh, getting the space I need. Madvi, do you want to tell us about the New York Times yesterday? <laughs> Oh, the New York Times uh, book section just did like 10 books to read if you're going to Berlin. And they were all by men except for one woman. And that annoyed me. So it was like, Trini, <laughs> you just want to come to Berlin and just like experience Berlin just through the eyes of men. It's ridiculous. Mm. I was reading that Margaret Thatcher actually took lessons on how to like vower lower on how to lower her voice so she could speak more like manly because like speaking in like a high-pitched voice is not perceived as being very authoritarian and so in order to emulate her male colleagues and to be taken seriously she took voice lessons it is true though because i also take voice lessons that if you speak from lower down Mm -hmm. here it's just you're more grounded and you take your energy and everything. And also what's really interesting is our vocal cords and our pelvic area here are very, like, it's very linked, our uterus and our vagina, basically, and our, and our vocal cords. Like, there's, we, we do use all of that to, to make our voices, like, resonate, more powerful, all of that. So a lot of it is in our bodies. And yeah, I know Margaret Thatcher did that really on purpose, but also 
sometimes I don't know how people react in their bodies. This would be really interesting to know. But like sometimes if I do get a bit nervous and stuff, I do start speaking up here and I'm not sure where am I going and it's kind of floating. So the voice changes and that's very interesting. Does anyone want to talk about how their voice feels in their body or how their vocal cords feel? It's quite technical. Have any of you ever listened to Paris Hilton talk? Because when she is doing the character of Paris Hilton, she kind of talks in this very airy voice. And then you hear her speaking when she's not playing this character of Paris Hilton. And her voice is much lower and she's she's incredibly smart. I don't know if any of you watched the Paris Hilton documentary. She's so good at what she does. She's super smart. And it's the thing of like, in order, you know, she created this character for public consumption who is this like airy ditzy woman and that's you know that's the brand she created it and she sold it which is like stands in like direct contrast to like margaret thatcher who was intentionally you know trying to be taken very seriously and trying to you know appear like a man the voice is so powerful and it also carries a lot of emotion with it as well um which is why it's more uh, sort of communicative than writing for example does anyone want to talk about their voice whether you like your voice don't like your voice how it's developed over the years we will give you a cocktail or mango juice (laughs) yeah would you like a cocktail um do you want mango juice uh we only have vodka (laughs) do you want to introduce yourself hi everyone i'm emily am i close enough to the mic because i can't really hear it hopefully it's on I'm Emily and and I just thought I might come up because you were talking about voice and vocal cords and I actually did a kind of executive training early last year I think it was and a big part of it was voice so it was a communication training but we actually spent several weeks on the voice topic and I learned a lot of things about how I was communicating especially in group situations where I was feeling not as powerful as I wanted to and one thing that I learned a lot about was vocal fry. So not putting enough power into your voice creates this kind of raspiness, which I think I was just doing just then. I don't know if you noticed. And apparently that's something that can make you seem less uh, assertive or really believing what you're saying. And then the other one is upspeak, which I think a lot of women do. Upspeak is where you sort of go up at the end of your sentence, even though you're saying something that is a statement. You're, it's almost a questioning where you go up at the mm. end of your sentence, and it can again make you seem less convinced in yourself. And it's mm. something that I noticed I was doing a lot in in bigger meetings, especially with sort of an executive team and a corporate environment. And it, it takes a lot of practice and awareness to just start to notice when you do that and and try to. Um, you know, take a deep breath and, and put more power behind your voice and, and be more um, sort of measured in, in how you speak. Um, and I'm also often told that I speak too softly, which oh. I think comes from that same place of not of not wanting to take up too much space or not feeling confident in a situation. And unfortunately, it's self-reinforcing, right? Because when you express yourself in that way, then other people perceive you differently. So I think it's really important, just this basic voice training it's really important for, for people to be aware of. And you found yourself implementing it, what you learned in like your meetings? Yeah, the first thing I found myself was noticing when I did it and when other people did it. And then I would try to correct myself. It's hard when you're actually in a meeting and then you get 
nervous and you start thinking about what you're doing and you can't change it because you're then more nervous and so it's quite hard to actually try to implement that um, and recently I haven't been thinking about it so it's probably just crept back in all these kind of habits I guess um, mm-hmm. but I think it's it's definitely an interesting tool to learn about. Yeah I recommend everyone do voice training it tells you so much about yourself and like yeah whether you want to take up space or whether you want to not feel so intimidating see I just did that (laughs) now I'm thinking about it (laughs) did it make you feel more confident in meetings like having these tools at your disposal I think it made me just more aware of what I could do to match my who I how I wanted to present with how I was presenting Mm -hmm. or kind of the internal and external I don't know if it's made it easier because I still find it's really hard to control and it, especially in a situation where you're nervous and um, then your your body also, as you were saying, you get tense, you don't have as much control over your vocal cords, you, um, you know, you kind of have this involuntary vocal fry or up speak and things like that. So I don't know if it's, uh, if it's made me more confident, it's definitely made me more aware though. Well, awareness is one thing because I think, you know, we're just so conditioned or we've had experiences um, when we're small and we're, we're little children. It starts from, hey, ask nicely and then you'll get it or be quiet or don't be so loud and all of these messages we get and we lose our natural voice somehow and our natural confidence. And that's really hard work to sort of reverse. It's almost like therapy. I took a class on voice in college. It did not go well. It's called Freeing the Natural Voice based on a Christine Linklater book, which I believe you have. I have. I haven't got it here right now, but yeah. And I did very poorly in it because the teacher kept wanting us to share personal details in the class. And I did not understand why I should be speaking to these random people about what I did on the weekend. Yeah, it did not go well. But there was a lot of like, how do you position your tongue? And we had to like, to bring in mirrors and like watch ourselves speak and yeah all it did was make me more self-conscious it's a book um if you are interested that you do over a period of a year though right you do it bit by bit to try and get back to your natural voice oh i'm sure the book is very very good i think it's more of a personal issue than it's anything wrong with christine link later i'm sure her techniques are lovely so one of the things we do on the podcast as you probably if you have listened to it We do get emotional because life is emotional, but we do try and also approach things from a fact-based foundation, I guess. And one of the things that's been really nice for me is to either listen to Rena just go off on one, or also just to be annoyed if I am annoyed that week. I think both of us are on a period right now, so we're both very not impressed with anything. And... um, (laughs) That does happen regularly once a month. If you see the pattern of of our podcast once in a while, we're just like not having it at all. But it's very liberating to just, there's so much rubbish in the world and we're not in control of any of it. Like Fran Leibovitz says, she has a lot of opinions and she's very angry because she has no power. And it's the same with us. We have a lot of opinions, but we have no power. And then we get annoyed about the state of the world. But there is a kind of um, power in acknowledging that and just putting that rage out there. And I think there's also a thing for women, like the ability to get angry 
and show it and um, express it. Yeah. Does anyone? Is anyone angry? <laughs> is anyone angry? Does anyone want to express their anger? Just come rage about anything or talk about? It? Yes. Woo, Elena. Thank you so much. Would Thanks, you like um, a drink? Thank you. I'm okay. Um, hi, I'm Elena. Oh, Elena, can you tell everyone what you do? Because it's really great what Elena does. I work in the field of sexual reproductive maternal child health in Uganda. I've been there for a couple of years now. So right now I'm in a cool sector that's interfacing between educational equity and health equity. So it's a space that I'm really passionate about and I'm really lucky that I get to work there. Um, anger. So it's funny I stepped up when you asked the question about anger because it's actually an emotion I am not very comfortable with and it's not something that surfaces often for me. We were just talking about astrology signs and I... (laughs) And of course, I'm going to talk about it now, but uh, because it's just my birthday, I'm a cancer baby and cancers often are associated with really a lot of emotional nurturing. And I've talked about this with close friends that the emotion that I feel most strongly happens to fall into nostalgia, which is like deeply in like remembering and, and deep feelings. And on the other side, my sister who lives in this Taurus Aries cusp, which is like the power cusp. There's like a lot of fire and anger is something that she deals with a lot. And it's something that surfaces very quickly for her. And it's something that we've talked about as sisters often about like how we process and experience emotions as women. And she's been in the military for a number of years and has, uh, and now is in the law space and working in a internship that's sort of putting bad people in jail in a prosecutorial way so different types of work but the whole point of this is she said something when i was asking her about why she's so angry i'm like kate you're, you're you get angry a lot you get angry quickly where's that coming from and she made a comment that said you know it's easier to be angry than it is to be sad and that's mm-hmm. something that really struck me and it's you can think of it in different formats astrology or whatever you want but that really resonated with me and mm-hmm. so i think it's quite normal to feel angry and harder to get to the root of it, which is in hurt or upset or shame or whatever that comes from. Mm. Interesting. And so you say you don't get angry a lot, but do you feel the root emotions more than you feel anger? Like, do you feel sad more than you feel anger? Do you feel shame more than you feel anger? Yes. And anger will show up. It's just something that, you know, like even in a, in a conflict with a friend or a partner, sometimes I will actually be angry, but I'll, I'll feel upset more than I'll feel angry just because I don't want to hold that emotion. And so I'll sort of default into feeling upset about something or, and then realize I'm like, no, actually I'm, I'm really angry about this. I shouldn't be feeling sad. Like I'm, it's not, I'm not sad. I'm angry. So it takes me a while to like process back into the space of anger, to be honest about that emotion. And I'm not sure why. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying I've known you a long time. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to do the math, but I don't think I've ever seen you angry. Yeah, I feel really uncomfortable with that emotion. Oh, that's so interesting. Maybe this is a personal therapy session. I should I should <laughs> yeah. delve into this more than in a public space. But yeah, I yeah. When you do get angry, mm-hmm. how do you express it? Um, I'm a writer like you. Mm-hmm. I really like writing things down. And actually, in moments of conflict, I usually will separate and just like write down my anger. So it's like a, a venting, a processing that I don't have to like share with anyone else. I feel like it's a really private emotion. Um, I think there's things I can talk about that are really frustrating in the world and otherwise, but I don't like to be seen in anger. 
And I don't like to feel out of control in that way, I think. It's much easier to be vulnerable than it is to be offensive. And that's my experience. Yeah. This is very personal. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But it's about anger. Yeah. It's uh, fascinating. They say something like, and I've heard it, not a therapist, no idea, that uh, depression is anger turned inwards. You heard that? No. Rena's like... (laughs) (laughs) a lot of women are depressed um no i don't know but yeah it is a difficult thing to express because i think just going back to the history of women and feminism like when men are angry it's fine because it fits with their masculinity with the idea of masculinity whereas when women are angry they are hysterical and the word hysteria is linked to our you know, wounds and uterus and stuff like this. And it's like very, oh, this is a woman. She's not being logical. She's not being reasonable or rational. We talk about Christine Blaisley a lot, you know, who did the, she testified against that dickhead. She is Brett Kavanaugh. (sighs) Brett Kavanaugh. But yes, Um, dickhead. (laughs) Yes. She testified against Brett Kavanaugh, who basically raped her. And she was just so in control. You see this so much with women who want to be taken seriously and want their testimony to be heard. They are not allowed to get angry. We are just not allowed to get angry as a gender. Otherwise, we will not be taken seriously. We will just be called crazy. And so it's, yeah, maybe some of it can be also cultural too or societal too. Mm. And I, obviously a lot of it's to do with personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was true. thinking very recently, I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this. There was a situation where I should have been really angry and I was talking to my mom. She was like, why are you not angry? You need to be getting angry. And I just wasn't angry. And literally my mom was waiting for me to start like yelling and screaming about something. Still not angry. Well, maybe. There are in Berlin, or I think everywhere, in fact, places for women to express their rage. So you do stuff like, you know, you scream into pillows, you like smash things, and there are actual spaces that let you get all of that energy out. Have any of you ever watched The Bold Type? I've seen all of it, and I love it. It's not that great of a show, but you should all watch it. It's truly amazing. And the way that the show starts is it's about three friends living in New York and they want to express their anger and their rage. And so what they do is they go down to the subway and they wait for the subway to come. And then they all three of them just start screaming and yelling. And I was like, I don't think I've ever screamed and yelled like that. I've never expressed my anger like that. But we're also not allowed to like take up space with our voices that much in society we always keep at this pitch at this level more or less we can get a bit shouty or we can go lower but we can't just full-on express our voice like this you know you need a you need a room like this does anyone want to use the mic to express their anger over anything just since we're we're here and we have a mic it's cool <laughs> now's the time come on rage <laughs> otherwise you have to continue to listen yes. to me does anyone have anything else they want to say about voice or their relationship to voice yay would you like a cocktail Quartz? do you want to introduce us? my name is chen yu i'm from china and i work here as a corporate strategy consultant actually i want to share a little bit about my perspective with my voice that i don't feel actually 100 percent comfortable with my voice I feel I don't even know my voice very well because I'm kind of, I will be a little afraid of listening to this podcast because I don't actually know how I sound like from an external perspective. And from my culture, it's kind of 
there is a saying where everybody knows that silence is gold. So people are actually not encouraged to speak up. I think it's lied within the thousands of years of dictatorship where the culture is so deeply embedded to shut people up. And as a female, it's also the case that um, I feel that the male is, of course, dominating the conversation all the time. And also English is my second language. I started to use English when I was 22 years old. So my whole kind of background and culture is not fitted in this language. All in that came into the place. I feel sometimes I struggle expressing myself. And I kind of know that there are lots of women like me. My circle is kind of migrated uh, woman friends. And I work in corporate and I have endless working for me before that they share the same struggle. And I kind of play a role of leading them by saying that, don't worry, I feel the same way. So that kind of encouraged me to get up here to share my perspective. Although I'm not very comfortable with it, but I've, I know that there are a group of women out there um, maybe feeling the same way as I do. Um, so do you feel the same way in your mother tongue? Uh, actually, I was much better mm-hmm. in my mother tongue. Because last night we were at a girls' dinner and we were speaking Mandarin. And we were like, I just feel very free. I express myself because there are so many phrases and words that's not replicable in English. There's no way to translate it. It's just when I say it, it just people just get it. Even it's just a very small word. And also Mandarin is a very high context language. So we can say a phrase and it just means so much. To learn Chinese is actually we kind of look at a very small piece of context and you can just have so many meaning layers of layers meaning behind it and also read that there's like if it's a document and it translates into different languages and Chinese is always the thinnest in terms of how many papers mm-hmm. so I think it's just culturally it's such a different way of communicating so I just definitely feel more comfortable speaking in Mandarin however I don't feel comfortable speaking Mandarin in a work context because I haven't worked so much in Mandarin. And also the way I feel in the Chinese corporate, maybe I'm not an expert at there, but I do think it's super dominated by men, boys, and there is this suppressive culture where when the leaders talk, you have to kind of obey. Um, when you answer to people, you have to use like this super, uh, this language that shows your respect to whoever you're reporting to. However, in this Western culture, I feel more comfortable um, working English because the, it's just people are rather um, equal. I can just speak more freely in English. So, yeah, that's a good question. Thank you. <laughs> do you express yourselves in other ways? Like, do you write or do you draw or do you manifest your emotions in different forms? I also realize this question. Um, instead of speaking, I do a lot of things. Uh, I do write journal. And I love writing journal. I do it in English and Mandarin. I feel very different using both languages. And it just gets me into this Zen state. Mm -hmm. Um, I do yoga. And I also do pottery. Um, So it also helps me get into this moment where I have to be 100% concentrated. Otherwise, the pot will just go wobbly. 
Um, I also play instrument. It's kind of this Chinese instrument. It's very Zen-ish. You can hear it in like Chinese bars, uh, and so on. So at the moment, I will be very focused in the in the music.、Mm-hmm. I think these are the communication ways. But I feel I'm a very、uh, visual person. Even that when I want to recite stuff, I would picture the text in my map, my mind, and read them out. But I know people they don't do that. They just memorize things in a sentence. So there's there's a like a drastic difference、um, with people out there. I feel、um, so. These are the ways that I express my emotions. But I do echo from earlier on. Sometimes if I don't express myself with voice. It kind of gets inward, so I suppress myself, which is not a really healthy way. But I also really hope that society is more、uh, forgiving and more friendly to female who has soft voice. I don't like the idea that we need to train ourselves to speak like men,、um, because I do see the value of women that are calm and speak softly, and can show vulnerability and relate to people in the room. That by Just being very grounded and speak in a very deep voice, maybe it will not achieve the same effect.、Mm-hmm. I just hope that the environment can be more accepting to the other way of communicating. Diverse voices.、Um, I think we also wanted to just Rina and I wanted to like expand our podcast to let diverse voices, because as we've seen today, like there's so many different viewpoints on just one topic, and everyone has their own experience, and we can't really, you know, cover that. That diversity. So we are opening up our podcast to like, if you want to be a guest, if you have anything you want to talk about that you're an expert on, that you are passionate about, that you are doing your PhD thesis on, or just that you read a book that was really interesting you want to discuss, our platform is now open to anyone. Basically, <laughs> come write us, Instagram us, whatever, and we. Would love to talk to you, Rini. It is weird listening to your voice on your podcast. I hate it, and now I'm used to it because you never actually hear your own voice. Yeah. Because you're not outside yourself, you know.、Yeah. So you only hear how it is here, and it's completely different. Um, and it's a very strange experience. So yeah, and I think both of us, when we started editing, because we do our own editing, really didn't like it at all. And now I don't even hear my、now、voice anymore. Now we don't mind. So that's cool. There's something you can just. Train yourself for,、yeah. and yeah, yeah. So we wrap it up. Yeah, if you've ever listened to our podcast, at the end of the every episode, we have three things that you can do this week to be a better person that sort of relate to the topic. The idea is that we don't want to just rant at you for twenty minutes, but we also want to give you the tools to actually make a difference or a change in the world. And so we decided that for this episode, it would be really nice if we let. You all share with us some of the tips you have for using your voice, for feeling more empowered to speak up. I know that some of you already mentioned things, but if anyone has anything they want to share, yes, Nadia, come on up! Yay! Would you like a drink, Nadia? Nadia, you are by far one of the best communicators I know. That puts a lot of pressure. Sorry, on I、right、didn't、now. mean to do that. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> that's totally fine. Yeah. So,、uh, hi everyone. My name is Nadia. I work in the space of diversity and inclusion at a tech company. And when you asked for tips around the idea of voices and inclusion, 
uh, some things naturally came to my mind. And so one of the things that I try to teach within a training that I have, but also just in conversations that I have daily, is what are the small things that we can say in conversations uh, for ourselves, to give ourselves a voice. But I think it's also more powerful when you do it for others. And I, so, and I know we had some examples earlier, for example, saying, I haven't finished speaking. Uh, that's a really good one. And this kind of falls under the cluster of what we call bias interrupters. So things that you can use to interrupt when someone doesn't get the chance to speak or when someone isn't getting the credit for the idea that they've brought to the table. And so some examples that maybe you all or your listeners want to include are saying, I would really love to hear the end of what so-and-so has to say. Or, yeah, I think that's a really good idea. I really appreciated it when that person first introduced it in this conversation. Or something that's a little bit away from voice, but I still think relates to the same topic, is when when someone has come to you and is explaining why they have a certain impression of someone, usually that's based in a stereotype or based off of something very superficial, just asking that person to reflect and say, hmm, that's really interesting. Why do you, why do you think you feel that way about this person? Because often people are so quick to take their first impressions and set them in stone and say that that's fact. And often when you ask someone back, why do you think that you have come to that conclusion? They realize that often it's not based off of much or it's not based off of enough for them to actually come to a concrete, yeah, concrete idea of what someone is or who they should be, things like this. So these are just a few things that I would love to share. I mean, I think Nadia knocked it out of the park. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a very hard act to follow. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming and thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Podfest. Yes. And for Daniel Stern for organizing all of this. And uh, we're going to hang out. Uh, we're going to wait for our sound engineer to come back and Who's hopefully gone? give us an, a recording. Otherwise, this has just been an intimate session with no recording. And that's that. And we can all have a drink and yeah, have a chill out a bit until, until our sound engineer comes back again. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Follow us on Instagram and all that stuff, too. <laughs> Does anybody, if anybody wants a drink? I don't know. Uh, How do we turn it off? Just play it around. Go record our chatter. You'll have like a recording of us chatting.